say this morning. Good morning. I have a few things to say this morning and then I'm going to get out of the way. So we'll be off probably in about 30 minutes. So in case you don't know who I am and what I do for a living, (laughs) I am an educator. I am an author. I am an editor. I am a researcher. I am a coach. I am an artist. That is what I do for a living. And so when it comes to things like theology, when it comes to things like the study of the Bible or the study of beliefs or the study of faith, I have been doing this since I was 19. I am now 45. I know. Thank you. Thank you. I I look pretty decent. I look decent at 45. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So a lot of people come into my space thinking that I am a millennial (laughs) or they think I'm in my 20s and they think that for some reason that youth means inexperience when I know there are lots of 20 year olds who are even theologians um, that study, you know, quite intensively when it comes to the word of God and when it comes to faith. So I don't tend to look at people by their age. I tend to look at them by their experience, their knowledge base, and what they've gained, right? So as a teacher, this is Thinking Thursday, Theology Thursday. As a teacher, one of teachers' biggest pet peeves is people asking us for knowledge and then proceeding to go all around in circles as to why they can't either receive the knowledge (laughs) or why they're going to do something else besides the knowledge or they don't take away or they don't look at what has been presented. Now, I am not a debater. I lecture. Yes, I get paid to do lectures as well, but I am not a debater. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me in the year of 20 and 23 and any other year? I don't go back and forth with people about what is the consensus. I don't go back and forth with people about historical facts. I don't go back and forth with people even about their opinions. Because one thing that I found out is a man who is... Um, what is it? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. What does that mean? It means you can present all kind of truth and evidence and facts and artifacts and historical data and research and documents. You can present all of that. But if a person's will and a person's mind is already made up, even though they may, may be asking you for new data, their mind is already made up. So it doesn't matter how much new data or information you present to that person, they've already decided that what they believe is true. Therefore, they're only going to receive information that confirms what they already believe. It's called confirmation bias. And most of us have it, right? We tend to side with facts and information that already coincide with what we believe. Anytime you find facts and information, right, that doesn't coincide with what you believe, you experience what's called cognitive dissonance. 
that means that the new information that you've received is now contending with your old information. And you have one of two choices. You can receive the new data and update what you know, or you can reject the new information and stick to what you know. So you got two choices. You can update what you know, or you can stick with what you know. But in either of those cases, this is the gospel of Shantae right now. Don't waste my time. I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> you can hashtag DWMT. Don't waste my time. And this is why I'm a paid researcher. Because when people ask me for information or they ask me for data, I tend to charge because I know where it's going. It's going to go to, okay, I need more data. Okay, I believe this, but I still need more proof. Can you show me more? Can you give me more? Can you give me more? Can you give me more? And this is what we tend to do to teachers, to educators, to historians, to researchers. And we don't realize that you are wasting time. You're wasting people's time. And so, again, <laughs> let's be respectful of people, especially in the social media space. Let's be respectful of people's time when we're asking them to dive and dig for us and search for us and give us information. Please be respectful of people's time because they don't have to do it. They can just say Google.com. They can say Google is free, right? So we want to be respectful of people's time. And I'm saying this not just for my audience, but I'm saying this in general. I'm saying it for myself. Um, I was reminded yesterday that it takes time to provide people with the necessary information. Um, and of course, many times it's because people don't want to look out, look for that information themselves, or sometimes they may not know what sources to go to, right? So I've been having a conversation and the conversation began with, I am searching for some information and that information then reverted to, well, I'm not searching for information. I'm really just, I know what I believe, but I'm trying to get more opinions. I'm searching out answers and I'm just trying to get more opinions. Well, I'm going to tell you again, for an educator and a person that is versed in their field, they have a lot of information they can pour out to you, but they also deal in facts and truth and what has been documented. So again, if you come to a person saying, hey, I want your opinion on this, they could give you their opinion, but nine times out of 10, an educator or a historian or a researcher is gonna give you the facts in the data first before they launch into their opinion about something. So I'm just trying to help us all today. Right? So I want to encourage people who are on a spiritual journey. If you're on a spiritual journey, that is great. That is wonderful. If you are deconstructing in your faith, that is great. That is wonderful. If you are decolonizing your faith, which is something we encourage all the time in this space, that is wonderful. That is great. I am going to tell you this, that if you're listening to me, if you're coming on my broadcast and you're listening to what I teach on, every single day, Monday through Friday. 
If you are not willing to decolonize your faith, everything I say will confuse you. Some things I say may offend you because I do not teach from a colonized perspective. I do not teach from a colonized faith viewpoint. I do not teach to comfort white people. And I certainly don't teach to comfort any BIPOC or black indigenous person of color who is anti-black. So I'm just warning you as we continue to go through this year, we're about at the halfway point. I'm not here to coddle people's feelings. As a teacher and as an educator, my responsibility, educate means um, it's the word educere, which actually means to bring out of what you, what is already in you. Okay. So when we're on here and we're sharing readings, we're sharing books, we're sharing information, we're sharing data. Hopefully that information is triggering you to go and do further study. We can only read so much here. We can only cover so much in an hour, sometimes 30, 45 minutes, an hour, sometimes a little over an hour. But I want you to know that we can only cover so much in this space. So what we're doing here is designed to get you to start asking some internal questions and for you to begin to dig out what is on the inside of you and for you to go the distance and research more and do more study, right? One of the things we encourage here is, hey, whatever book we're reading, we encourage you to get it so that you can read along with us. So you can always ask us, hey, what page are you on? So if you get the book and, or you have it on your tablet or whatever, however you choose to read, you can go to that page number and you can read right along with us, okay? I just wanted to share that because yeah, if you're not willing to decolonize your faith, everything I say just about is probably going to confuse you. And so I don't want people coming to, into this space feeling confused, but I do want you to understand what my perspective is. And my perspective in this space is going to be Black Theology and Black Power 24-7, 365. All right? If it is a gospel that you are believing in and it does not liberate black people, it does not liberate indigenous persons, it does not liberate marginalized persons, then you're probably not going to enjoy what we talk about in this space, especially when it comes to theology. All right. So we are back in black theology and black power. I'm going to read probably for just about five minutes today because I do want to get an opportunity for some conversation to happen. So I, again, I hope that the noise outside is not too much and that, um, you know, you all are able to hear me. I'm trying to talk, raise my voice a little bit louder today. This is James Cone's perspectives on black theology. And I believe we're actually, this is perfect because we're gonna end this chapter today. He says, the religious ideas of the oppressor are detrimental to the black people's drive for freedom. I'm going to agree with him 1000%. <laughs> when you are fostered in, when you are steeped in Eurocentric Western Christianity, 
when you are steeped in European Western civilization Christianity, it does not foster a drive for freedom. It does not. And one thing I was kind of laughing about today in my devotional time with the Lord, I distinctly heard the Spirit say this, and I'm going to make sure I say it right. He said, (laughs) there it is. He said, some of these spaces are one named ministries. Names such as, now this is your church's name. I'm not talking about your church directly, okay? Tell tell it to the spirit. (laughs) Some of the, he said, some of these one named churches have repackaged themselves and he said names like emerge evolve celebration fresh uproar uplift he said they repackaged white supremacy in jeans sneakers and a cup of coffee i said now holy spirit (laughs) He said it's repackaged white supremacy in jeans, sneakers, and a cup of coffee. And so if you are under repackaged white supremacy and you have not yet recognized, I said, well, Holy Spirit, if they're under repackaged white supremacy, why have they not recognized it for what it is? And he said, because it is packaged in jeans, sneakers and a cup of coffee. So I said, well, how do we begin to unpack that? How do we begin to tell people signs you might be in something that is repackaged white supremacy in the faith space, right? And he said, well, ask them what they believe about the role of women. Ask them what they believe about marginalized groups in society. Do they feel that these people are, are transformable? Do they feel that these people are open to change? Do they feel that these people are equal in humanity? And if they answer the question with about women with, well, we have women as assistants and we have women as, you know, executive secretaries. If they can't give you a solid answer about the personhood of women and what they believe about women in leadership, chances are you are sitting in something that is cloaked white supremacy. Because white supremacy is only going to uplift and and really exalt one kind of person. Either one, the white male, or two, the black male who caters to the white male. I'm going to say that again because I know that went right over somebody's head. They're going to do one of two things. They're either going to cater to the white male and the needs of the white male, or the black male who caters to white males. Now let me keep reading. 
He said they tend to make black people nonviolent and accept only the prescribed patterns of protest defined by the oppressor himself. It is the oppressor who attempts to tell black people what is and is not Christian, though he is the least qualified to make such a judgment. Can you imagine the least qualified people telling you how you should protest? Happens every day in America. <laughs> it is he, through the news media and other forms of communication, who tries to select, quote unquote, the good Negro as the leader for black people, religious and secular. But black theology, like black power, rejects leaders who merely mimic the values of a racist society. So again, you can ask yourself in any faith space, am I expected to mimic the values of Eurocentricity in order to be accepted? Am I told that my Black Lives Matter shirt is just too much for the sanctuary? Am I told that, well, you know, if you, if you, um, you know, got rid of your Afro, you know, and you look the less black power-ish, then you would be more received by the people in this space. Oh, we can't have any of that broken English here. You've got to speak proper pronunciation in order for us to allow you to speak in our pulpit. If you're dealing with this kind of stuff, understand that you are being asked to really water down who you are culturally, while at the same time, you are expected to assimilate into Eurocentric culture. Mm -hmm. Black theology advocates a religious system of values based on the experiences of the oppressed because it believes white values must either be revolutionized or eliminated. Such a value system means, of course, an end to the influence of white seminaries with their middle-class white ideas about God, Christ, and the church. This does not necessarily mean a burning of their buildings or anything of that nature. What is meant is a removal of the oppressive ideas from the black community which the seminaries perpetuate. We must replace them with black consciousness, that is, with Nathaniel Paul, Daniel Payne, Nat Turner, Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, and Malcolm X. Instead of having courses dealing with the theology of Reinhold Niebuhr or Rudolf Bultmann or Emil Brunner, we need to deal with the theology of Henry Garnett and other black revolutionaries. Black theology seeks to do in religion what Leroy Jones, Larry Neal, Ron Karenga, and others have done in their specialized fields. Defining black power, Jones says black power is the power first to be black, but it is also a culture, a way of feeling, a way of living that is replaced with a culture of feeling, a way of living and being that is black and yes, finally more admirable. Karenga speaks of the same concern. We stress culture because it gives identity, purpose, and direction. It tells who we are, what we must do, and how we can do it. He goes on to suggest that culture is the basis of all ideas, images, and actions. To move is to, to move culturally by a set of values given to you by your culture. The basic criteria for culture are mythology, history, 
social organization, political organization, creative motif, and ethos, all of which are being removed from the Florida education system, by the way. Larry Neal, another black artist, speaks of a black aesthetic. He says, it consists of an African-American cultural tradition. It, is in, it encompasses most of the usable elements of third world culture. The motive behind the black aesthetic is the destruction of the white thing, the destruction of white ideas and white ways of looking at the world. The new aesthetic is mostly predicated on an ethics which asks the question, whose vision of the world is finally more meaningful, ours or our white oppressors? Whose vision of the world do you elevate? What is truth? Or more precisely, whose truth shall we express? That of the oppressed or of the oppressors? So we'll stop there. I want to give at least 10 minutes to some, some dialogue today. I hope that I have said something that would get you thinking. And I hope that, you know, you would appreciate the teachers, the educators, the historians, the griots, the cultural storytellers, the researchers in your life, and that you would not waste their time and really come to them when you actually are seeking change rather than just an opinion. Because yes, we could give our opinion, but that's not, opinions is not really what revolutionizes people's minds. I often encourage people to do their own research and their own study because I tend to find that when you look at it for yourself, when you read it for yourself, then you begin to want to participate. Then you begin to say, I've seen it with my own two eyes. And so now I can make some different decisions and some different judgments about it. I am not sure, let's see. I'm not sure why you don't see a camera. Um, but if you have another account or you might need to go out and come back in. Either way, try that. So I want to thank you all for your time and attention. Thank you to those of you who are able to listen to this podcast today. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues. And I have been your host today, Shantae Charles. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be light. Take care, be well, and be light.